many years ago, now you UNC fans don't get angry about this, okay? But many years ago, Duke University did a study to research the factors that lead to having peace of mind. And they came up with seven qualities or characteristics that are true across the board of those who have peace of mind. Eight factors, that is. And on the list, number seven reads this. Do not expect too much of yourself. When there is too wide a gap between self-expectation and your ability to meet the goals you've set, feelings of inadequacy are inevitable. We might label this factor unrealistic expectations. How many of you can say today that you have ever had unrealistic expectations? I know my children do regularly. Something that often happens over the course of a week, whether I'm on the way out the door or maybe just getting home from being out and about doing the work God's called me to do, or even if I'm doing some work at home, studying or preparation of some kind, there will be times my children will ask me, even first thing in the morning, Dad, can you play with me? And I may say, you have school. I have a job. I have work to do. So no, I can't play with, and yet it happens multiple times a week where this will happen. And I actually said to one of my children this week, no, your daddy actually works to provide for you and our family. I can't stop at every moment and play. I'm not, I'm not able to, I just can't. Would I like to sometimes? Sure. But it's an unrealistic expectation. They think that we have a roof over our heads and food in the cupboards and clothes on their backs and toys all over the place with a daddy who just plays with them all the time, apparently. And it doesn't work that way, does it? You know that. It's an unrealistic expectation. Would you consider yourself to be someone who struggles with unrealistic expectations? Do you struggle with unrealistic expectations of yourself? Perhaps you put expectations on yourself for daily and weekly goals that, frankly, are just impossible. It's not realistic. You're not going to accomplish all of that today. You're not even going to accomplish all of that this week. It's just unrealistic. You may consistently do this. And then when you don't meet those daily goals or those weekly goals, what happens? You get discouraged, don't you? It's frustrating. You get to the end of the day and the list is not completely checked off. And even if the problem is your expectations were up 
unrealistic, you get to the end of the day, and it's frustrating to you. It's discouraging. You feel guilty about it. Maybe you struggle with unrealistic expectations of relationships, just others. You expect a level of commitment, perfection, accomplishment of others that is simply put unrealistic. And that too can be discouraging and disappointing. I believe unrealistic expectations is at the heart of Haggai's third message to the people of Israel in Jerusalem found in Haggai chapter 2 verses 10 through 19. Let's look there beginning in the first few verses reading Haggai chapter 2 verses 10 through 13. In the four and twentieth day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet saying thus saith the Lord of hosts Ask now the priests concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priests answered and said, No. Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priests answered and said, It shall be unclean you read this passage and right away you're probably wondering what in the world is going on here what's taking place what is this conversation all about this message is being preached by Haggai approximately two months following his second message remember the first message had to do with misplaced priorities the second message had to do with disappointment and how to respond to what was going on as they were building the temple. This message having to do with unrealistic expectations. And the prophet comes and delivers this message to again correct the people about their perspective on their expectations. And he opens the message with this illustration. He goes to the priest, the the professors, the professionals of God's law. And he asked this question. If you carry a piece of holy meat in your garment, what's he talking about? He's talking about a sacrifice to God. And as the priests are carrying this piece of meat, this sacrifice that has been sanctified, it's been set apart for the Lord... As they're carrying it and that meat touches their garment, their garment is also described as clean. But now the illustration goes a little bit deeper and, and Haggai says, now take that clean garment and touch something that is not clean. Whether it be a piece of meat, a piece of bread, pottage, soup if you will, stew, Whatever it may be, if that garment that's now clean touches something that is unclean, will that unclean item now become clean because the clean garment has touched it? And what did the priest say? No, it'll be unclean. 
that will still be unclean, and now the garment will be unclean. And then he, he uses the second one. If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? In other words, if in the Jewish law, if someone touched a dead body, that person was ritually unclean. And Haggai says, if that person who's now ritually unclean touches something that is clean, will that person who's unclean become clean because they've touched something that is clean? And the priests again say, no. He'll still be unclean, and the item they touch will now be unclean. Think of this in something that really simple for us to evaluate today this morning my my youngest daughter Adeline who's two and a half apparently got into candy and I came out from our back room and she had I mean just sticky mess all over her face I was helping her get dressed taking her pajamas off and I mean she had candy like all the way down her front it was disgusting. It was like a mix of candy cane and chocolate. It was all this brown, red, and white, sticky, gooey mess. And she had some in her hair, and I realized, you need a bath. Now, think, if I had taken, if I had taken just a, a, a piece of her clothing and used that piece of clothing to pat her face and her hair and her, her skin... Would that piece of garment be clean afterward? No, it'd be what? It'd be unclean. You put, you put someone who is sick, someone who has the flu, someone who has, oh, I don't know, RSV, someone who has a catching sickness like that, and you say, all right, you're sick. Here's what we're going to do to make you well. We're going to put you in a very tight space with someone who isn't sick. And you'll get well. Is that the way it works? No, what, what typically happens in that instance? The other person gets sick too, right? Yeah, that's what typically happens. And, and that's essentially what Haggai is describing here. This idea of clean becoming unclean or unclean becoming clean, it just isn't, it's not sensical. It, it doesn't make sense. To expect that would be unrealistic. Now, why was he giving this illustration? Look at verse 14 for the answer. Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people. And so is this nation before me, saith the Lord, and so is every work of their hands. And that which they offer there is what? Unclean. What were the people doing? Do you remember? Why did they originally come back to Jerusalem from Babylonian captivity? To do what? To build the temple, to rebuild it. Why did Haggai first come and preach in Haggai chapter 1? Because for 16 years, the work lay untouched. And they were doing nothing. They were more concerned with their own comforts and convenience because of opposition 
than they were rebuilding the house of God, but they got busy doing the work. Some of them had bad, um, had, had disappointment because as they looked at the work, they were just discouraged that this temple wasn't turning out like Solomon's temple was. But now he comes again two months later, now four months in, because there's a new issue that's taking place. As they're building the temple, as they're preparing for sacrifice, God identified this unrealistic expectation that because you're doing the work of the temple, because you are preparing to offer sacrifice, you think that these religious activities will make you clean. But it doesn't work that way. God said instead, you, the land, the work of your hands is all unclean. Now why would that be? Why would the work of their hands, why would the land, why would God say the people are unclean? Because listen to me very carefully, friends. If, if you miss this, you miss out on what I believe is an overarching theme throughout God's word. Religious activity does not cleanse the heart. Why had the people gone into captivity? Because of sin. Idolatry, rebellion against God. They had broken his covenant. God, in his mercy, according to his plan, is now bringing them back into the land. He wants them to build the temple. He wants them to get back to the covenant. He wants them to get back to doing the sacrifices. He wants them to get back to these activities. But here's the problem. To do the activities without a change of what? Heart means nothing. The temple won't be clean simply because they're doing this and it's God's temple. The sacrifices won't be clean simply because, well, this is what God said to do. We're going to do it. Nor will them doing those things make them clean. It won't change their heart. These people now were becoming discouraged because of unrealistic expectations. And what was the expectation? In doing this, we'll become clean, and God's blessing will return. And God says, no, it's, it's wrong. That's not how this works. They expected God to do certain things, to perform certain promises, that they didn't even have the right to expect because of their uncleanness. We are not covenant people. But I believe that some of the principles are applicable to our lives. Can we expect certain things from God? Can we expect certain blessings from God? Can we expect to be fruitful? as believers in Jesus Christ, if we engage in activity and ministry in a way that is not pleasing to God, with hearts like Jesus said of the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 15 are far from him, when we are worshiping him in vain, I believe it's easy for us 
become discouraged in activity and ministry when our expectations go unmet to the extent that we may even give up the work. And so if unrealistic expectations are ever a struggle for you, then God has a message for us from his word today. And remember, we're preaching this series back to normal, and I told you in the first message a couple of weeks ago that there is a term that is often defined this way, back to normal or a return to biblical Christianity. Do you remember what that term is? It's the term revival. And if I can say this today, what Haggai is preaching in this third message is a message of revival to God's people. Even as he is encouraging them to correct their unmet expectations, he is also challenging them to return to the Lord, to correct the uncleanness of their hearts. And what he tells them to do here in this passage is to examine their expectations and ways to turn to the Lord and then expect him to do as he said he would. So let's look at the passage today as we think about unrealistic expectations and what it may mean for us. Number one, notice this, it's time to consider. Look at verses 15 and 18. Haggai preaching the message of God says, and now I pray you, what's the next word? What is it? Consider. Consider from this day and upward. From before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord. He says, consider. From this day forward, as you're doing the work, the temple there is something that you need to think about there is something that you need to consider look at verse 18 what's the first word of the verse in verse 18 consider consider now from this day and upward from the four and twentieth day of the ninth month even from the day that the foundation of the lord's temple was laid and what's the next word consider it so three times in these two verses Haggai says, as you're doing this work, there is something that you need to stop and consider. And this word's very interesting. The word consider is actually made up of two Hebrew words, and these words have the idea of to take to heart or to put in heart. What, Isaiah, what Haggai is encouraging the people to do is to open their eyes to look at their thinking, to look at what they're doing, and to look at what is coming from it, and to take these things to heart, to think deeply about what is going on. And by the way, Haggai encouraged the people to do this in his very first message. In Haggai chapter 1, verse number 5, he challenged them, consider your ways. To think deeply about what is going on. And now he does it again three times in two verses. Consider, you're doing the work of God now. You're building the temple. You're preparing to sacrifice and go back to all those religious activities that God has commanded. But as you're doing this, consider what is taking place. Set your heart on your ways. Make examination in light of the truth that is being preached. He told them to consider, in verse number 15, from the time before they began laying the foundation of the temple, 
And now in verse number 18, since the time that the foundation was laid. So go back to before you laid the temple. And now laid the foundation. And now think now that the, the foundation is laid. How could God bless you when you are still unclean and you've not turned to the Lord when he's worked to draw you? God is doing that work to draw you back to himself, to repent and make things right with him. And you've not done it. You believe that your religious activity alone will immediately bring God's blessing. And he's telling them, consider, from before the foundation was laid, now the foundation is laid. Has anything changed? Is God's blessing upon you? Has God's blessing returned? And the obvious answer they were to get, no, nothing's changed. Why? Because you've not turned back to the Lord. So Haggai tells them, consider. Consider your ways. Consider your expectations. This is for you and me. Are there times that we become discouraged because of unrealistic expectations that we've placed on God? Do we expect God to honor and bless our religious activity even if our hearts are far from him? Even if we are in that way unclean? Isn't it amazing how we can expect God as we, well, we attend church and we do these other things for God and yet there may be something that we're carrying with us going on in our lives, something we're participating in that God has worked in our hearts about time and time again. There may be something God has, has asked us to commit to him and we are holding back from it and yet we think, well, I'm doing all this religious activity. Certainly that's enough to earn God's blessing. Do we expect God to honor and bless us like we're walking in the light when we're walking in darkness? Do we expect God to honor and bless us for a step of obedience in the moment immediately following that step? In other words, well, God, I took that step of obedience and five seconds later, you weren't blessing my life. Unrealistic expectations that we can have of God. We expect God many times to bless religious activity though we're continuing in a known sinful activity or we're walking out of fellowship with him. That's true for some of us. For others of us, it may be that we expect God's blessing to come in a specific way and at a specific time. And then we grow discouraged when it doesn't happen and it doesn't happen as we expect it to. And so we, we give up. We get angry with God about it. Take a step back and consider your expectations. And then consider your ways. One writer said about the people in this text, they thought that because they had taken on the project of rebuilding the temple, God would begin to bless them greatly. They looked at external obedience as what God should bless. But Haggai reminds the people that wholehearted devotion to God was necessary to obtain his blessing, not just piling stone upon stone. With every stone they laid of the foundation of the temple, well, this is what will bring God's blessing. I wonder if that's ever true in our lives. Well, I've taken that step of obedience, so God has to bless me in this way. 
I've done this, God, so where, where's my blessing today? A frequent challenge for the Israelites is also a frequent challenge to us. We tend to focus too much on the external. When God's focus is what? The internal, the heart. Matthew 15 again. The Pharisees were, were that way. Well, look at what we've done outwardly. Look at how shiny and squeaky clean we are on the outside. And Jesus said, Isaiah, Isaiah prophesied so well of you. You draw nigh to me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Jesus quoted this directly from Isaiah 29, 13, and 14. As Isaiah, in his day, used it to identify the heart of the people. Ezekiel said this in Ezekiel 33:31, And they come unto thee as the people cometh. They sit before thee as my people. They hear thy words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. God said, coming, they're listening to the message, but they're not taking it to heart. With their mouth, they're professing great love for me, but it's not really true. There's a tremendous reminder here that God is interested in our hearts. And friends, don't, don't misunderstand this. It is completely possible to engage in religious activity and observance, to engage in, in ceremonial rituals without engaging your heart. It's possible. Coming to and observing every service, serving in one place or another is fine and good, but it will not be blessed by God if our heart is distant from him. So maybe we need to stop and consider today. Consider our hearts. And then notice, secondly, it's not only time to consider, it's time to turn. Look at verses 16 and 17. Haggai says, Since those days were when one came to an heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the press fat for to draw out 50 vessels of the press, there were but 20. I smote you with blasting and with mildew and with hail in all the labors of your hands. Notice this next statement, how sad it is. Yet what? Ye turn not to me saith the Lord. What an indictment. What's with all this stuff that God said they experienced? It, it's stuff similar to what Haggai said in his first message in Haggai 1. These were related directly to God's covenant with Israel. God's covenant with Israel was real simple. Obey me and I'll be with you. I'll help you. I'll bless you disobey me and I won't be with you. I'll turn you over to your enemies. Your, your harvest will not be fruitful. I'll blast you with the same plagues that I blast your enemies with. And so Haggai says, here's what's happened. You go to the harvest expecting you're going to pull out a hundredfold. And you only find tenfold. 
you go you go and do this and that and the other expecting all this return and you don't find it god is clearly working as he is god used the word smiting with blasting and with with mildew and hail in the labors of their hands. They're an agricultural society. And God is working through natural phenomenon to destroy their harvest. Why? Because they'd walked away from God. They'd broken his covenant. God was doing these things for a specific purpose. What was it? We might say, well, to punish them, to judge them. To show them how angry he was. Is that what it was? No, God was doing these things to lovingly draw them to himself. You see, God had told them, I'm going to do these things to show you that you've broken the covenant, that you've walked away. And if in that place at that time you realize you're wrong and you turn to me, guess what? I'll forgive you. That's why that beautiful verse that we claim as a revival verse for ourselves, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, was written. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. You see, that verse was written in the midst of that passage I'm describing where God said, here's what will happen if you obey. Here's what will happen if you disobey. And if you're in the place of disobedience and find yourself captive in a land of an enemy, if you find yourself in a place where I'm not blessing your harvest, where I'm working to destroy it, if you from there will pray, turn from your wicked way, I will hear, I will heal, I'll forgive. And yet, here was Haggai's report. God's doing all those things. And yes, you've responded and you've gotten involved in religious activity. But yet, God said, you have not what? You've not turned to me. The prophet Amos recorded the same in a lengthy sermon found in Amos chapter 4. Five different times in that message ex recording the experiences of Israel, Amos said that God said, Yet ye have not returned unto me. I'm doing all these things, and yet you're not turning. God used a variety of experiences to get the attention of his people that he might lovingly draw them to himself, and they did not respond. Does God do similar things for his people, believers in Christ today. Do you believe what Hebrews 12 says when it says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth? The answer to the question is yes. God does the same in his people and for his people today. 
if you and I are away from God, if we're in a place where we think religious activity is good enough, no matter how distant our hearts are from God, if we think we can participate in sinful activity and God won't be concerned with it as long as we still go to church on Sunday or we're involved in this ministry, if we think that God should immediately bless in some way as soon as we take a step of obedience and have an unrealistic expectation in that way, could it be that God would use experiences, that God would work in certain ways in your life and mine to lovingly draw us back to himself? I'd say it's very likely. And while often it's easy to look at it from the outside in the life of somebody else, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? How easy it is to point at somebody else and see what they're going through and say, well, God's doing that to get their attention. Well, I wonder what they did that was against God, because look at what's going on in their life. It's easy to do that. Sometimes it's, a, it's much more difficult to say, you know, God, I think you're doing this in my life to get my attention. God, you know, I think you're doing this in, in me to draw me back to you because I've, I've walked away some. I've grown a little cold or callous to you. I don't know in your life it's easy to look from the outside in at somebody else and say those things, but God's ways are higher than ours. His thoughts higher than our thoughts. And yet his word clearly shows numerous examples of him working through a variety of experiences and circumstances to get the attention of his people to lovingly draw them to himself. Maybe God is doing some things in our lives, in our, in our ministry, in our community to wake a sleeping church. Maybe, just maybe, God is using some things in your life to get the attention of a nearly dead Christian to lovingly draw us to himself, to plainly reveal to us what is truly important, to clearly remind us to value what he values, and to passionately revive us to live in and walk in his spirit. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know God holds tomorrow. And friends, it may be that God is working in ways to get a hold of us, to show us that religious activity and observance without heart engagement should sicken us like it sickens him. To cause us to be weary of lip service without heart love. To show us that sleepwalk Christianity is something that needs to be warmed with the fire of love. To wake us up to passionately pursue and serve him. And if God needs to do things in my life. If God needs to do things in your life to do that, so be it. How is God's Spirit prompting you today? I imagine that God would use a message like this to work in our life, to speak to our hearts, to get our attention. But are we listening? Are we heeding? If God would lovingly draw Israel... Would he not do the same with us who are his children? But the Bible says of them, they did not turn to the Lord. What about us when God speaks to get our attention? 
It's time to turn. And then would you notice thirdly, when we've considered and when we've turned, Haggai says, then it is time to expect. Look at verse 19. He says, is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, as yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree hath not brought forth. Okay, so remember, he's told them to consider. You've not turned to God, and that's why you're not seeing any fruit, literally. You're not experiencing a harvest. But then he ends the verse with this statement, speaking for God, from this day forth, what? Will I bless you? From this day forth. Will I bless you? God was saying this through his prophet. If, per his preaching, you consider your ways, if you turn back to me from that day that you do, will I bless you? The simple truth is that if we honor God, God will honor his word in his way and in his time. What did he tell them? Please pay attention very carefully. He did not say, in this day will I bless you. Do you catch that? But that's what we often expect, isn't it? Well, if I turn to God right now, I'll experience all this blessing and all this fruit. No, God said, from this day. In other words, they may not experience the blessing that day. They may not experience it tomorrow or the next day, or the next, or the next week, or the next month, or even the next year. But what was God indicating? Do you remember that the, the Word of God tells us that, that God in heaven keeps a record? He has books. God has a library in heaven. And what are the books in God's library in heaven filled of? You, me, and what? Our what? Our works. What we do. What we do. Our works. And do you know what happens as God fills those books with what we do for him? The commitments we make to him that we follow through on the love that we express to him through many different ways. God keeps a record of all that. It's as if he would say to us today, from that day, I bless you. I will bless you. When we honor the Lord from that time, he blesses us. We may not see the blessing in that day or in even the way we expect to, but we can expect his blessing from that day. Hosea said it this way, another of God's prophets. He said this, Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, your hard ground, your dry ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Friends, listen. We can expect 
that when we are right with God, when we are passionately pursuing Him, when we love Him with all our heart, souls, and might, and we follow Him, that from that day God will bless and there will be fruit. But I wonder how often we get bogged down with unrealistic expectations. Whether that's because we try to perform religious activity with sin still in our hearts that we know is there, that God has dealt with us about, that we've not given to him. Or if it's the unrealistic expectation of growing discouraged and disappointed because God doesn't bless us in the time we want, in the way that we want. Whatever it may be for us, the message for us is the same. We need to consider and we need to turn to the Lord. And let me be very clear. This is not a message about what it means to be saved. This is for people who know God, who, who are saved, who are followers of Jesus, who maybe have gotten caught up with expectations that are unrealistic. But if that's not you, if you don't know Jesus as Savior, if you're not a child of God, if you've never been saved, understand it's not about cleaning up your life. It's not about, it's not about some work that you can do to be saved. Salvation is God's work. Through sending his son to die on a cross for your sin. Because you can never do enough to satisfy God's demand for salvation. Because his demand is perfection. But Jesus fulfilled that demand. He was perfect. He died the death we deserve and he rose again to life. And if you will trust in him, you can be saved. But for the believer, we need to examine our expectations and our ways. We need to turn to the Lord and then expect him to do what he has said. This is important because unrealistic expectations lead to disappointment and disillusionment. Don't walk through life with unrealistic expectations. Rather, consider, turn to God and then expect him to bless in his way in his time.